Well, good morning. My name is Josh Hogue. I serve as the executive pastor here at First Southern. And uh, I'm getting a little distracted. I'm using my little girl's iPad this morning. And she has a pug on the screensaver here doing this kind of like pose going on. And so uh, it's not what you want to see when you're starting to start a sermon um, is a, a pug right there in your face. So excuse me on that. But I'm excited to be able to share God's word with you this morning. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We're going to be in the book of John, and that's in the New Testament, and we're going to be in chapter 3. So, New Testament, second part of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John, and then chapter 3, as I like to tell kids, 3 is the big number, and then we're going to start in verse 1 there. And so, and if you don't have a Bible, uh, you can grab one in the pew in front of you um, and borrow it. And if you do not personally own a Bible, that is our gift for you, um, not if you're just looking for a better Bible, but if you don't own one. Uh, take that with you, and uh, we want everyone to have God's word with them and readily available for them. And so I'm excited we're continuing uh, our Jesus series, and, uh, and it's been such a great series just to talk about the, the life, death, and ministry of Jesus. And so as we're continuing that, um, last week we talked about how none are too nasty for the newness of Jesus, and this week we're on the opposite side of that spectrum. And so that's where we pick up here in John chapter 3, talking about Nicodemus. Will you read with me? Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. And you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we, that we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven except for the, he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in, the world that made the, in order that the world may be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. That light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, 
because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. So a long passage here, and there's so much that we can unpack. And so I want to focus in on this relationship that Nicodemus has with Jesus as he approaches him. And so what does the Bible say who Nicodemus is? He's a Pharisee. He's actually a part of the Sanhedrin. So he's one of the most elite, educated Jewish men of the times. So he's the guy that if you wanted to know what the Bible says, you would go to. He would be the guy that we would look up to and say, this is what it looks to live a model life to follow after God. And we find Nicodemus coming to meet with Jesus, not during the day, but in darkness. He's coming to meet with Jesus in the hidden of the night. And so the way that he is approaching Jesus is completely wrong. Because again, we see here he walks up and he calls Jesus rabbi, which is a term of respect. But so was he. He would have been studied as a rabbi and exceeded past that as a Pharisee in the Sanhedrin. And then he says, we know that you are a teacher from God, but so was Nicodemus. See, he's not looking at Jesus in this moment as, Jesus, you are the son of man. You are the Lord. You are the promised savior. No, he's looking at Jesus, meeting him at night so no one else would see him and saying, Jesus, you're my equal. And I want to talk to you about that. And so the way that he relates to Jesus is all completely wrong. Because it's important how we relate to people, right? So for example, I've got four kids, four crazy kids. I've got an 11-year-old, a 9-year-old, a 3-year-old, and a 2-year-old. And the most rotten one is the 2-year-old, okay? But she's so cute, she gets away with it, all right? So my baby girl, Shekinah, and she is, I call her baby girl all the time. I call her Nikki Mouse because her middle name is Nicole. She, she has daddy's heart, but she is rotten, okay? And she knows it. She knows how to twist and get things that she wants. She has found out that my name is Josh, and she thinks it's hysterical to call me Josh. And then when I'm in trouble, she's like, Joshua. I'm like, let me be clear. There, there's really only two other women in my life who would ever call me Joshua. That is my mom usually when I was in trouble, and my wife, usually when I was in trouble. And so now my little baby girl calls me Joshua, or, and she'll call Josh, and now it's turned into almost an insult to other people. So she calls Misty Mama Josh, and then she calls KK Josh, or Elijah Josh, and, and she just called random people Josh. So if you ever feel bad about your name, at least it hasn't turned into an insult yet, Okay. So my little girl knows how to get her daddy riled up. And she'll be like, Josh, nuh-uh, don't do that. Hi, daddy, Josh. But when she wants something, when she wants to be sweet and she wants her daddy to come hold her or daddy to go get her a snack when mama said no already, but she comes to me, she comes up to me and she calls me what? Daddy. And I tell you what, there is nothing more precious than my baby girl come up and saying, daddy. And she's just, she does, she tilts her head a little bit and just bat those eyes and says, Daddy. Because there's only four people in this world that get to call me that. And I love even the fact that my 11-year-old and my 9-year-old boy still call me Daddy. It's how they relate to me. 
See, when Shekinah comes to me and calls me Josh, it seems like there's a, a, something's broken in the relationship here. Like, you're this tall. You should at least be this tall before you call me Josh. Yet, but when she calls me daddy, it's how she relates to me. It's because there's a relationship. It's because she understands that there's something special about who I am to her. I'm not just Josh. I'm Josh to everybody. But to her, I'm her daddy. And see, when Nicodemus goes to Jesus and he calls him teacher, it's like her calling me Josh. She's relating to, he's relating to Jesus on a completely equal level. And it's not what he intended there. And so Jesus, being who he is, uh, wants to set things straight. And he says, because how we, import, how we relate to Jesus is just as important as how Nicodemus was relating to Jesus or, or missed the opportunity to relate to Jesus. And so his response to him was very straight to the point to make it clear. And he says, truly, truly. Now, every time you hear the word truly, truly, it actually could be translated as amen. Now, we say amen after a prayer, okay? And so it is to agree to upon. So when you see truly, truly in the beginning of this sentence, what it actually means that this, I have the, the utmost confidence and knowledge on this matter. So truly, truly, I know that I have four rotten children. Um, I can say that because I have knowledge as their daddy. So when Jesus is speaking in this way, he's saying, I have this knowledge. I can say this with the utmost authority. And so Nicodemus, I understand you're a teacher and you're a Pharisee and you're a part of the Sanhedrin and you should have studied and know the Old Testament. But buddy, you have missed it. Because I'm sitting here with you and I have the utmost authority because Listen to this. And he says, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now the blow, the, the, the smack in the face that this must have been for Nicodemus because he's over thinking, hold on a second. I should be able to see the kingdom of God. I, I'm part of the right people group. I've gone to all of the best schooling. I, I, I excel past everybody else. I'm at church Every time the doors are open, I know the Bible better than anybody else. I have it memorized. I can quote to you in clear, perfect Hebrew and Arabic. I am a Pharisee. I'm a part of, I'm the Pharisee of Pharisees. I'm a part of the Sanhedrin. I'm an elite educated person. What do you mean I can't see the kingdom of God unless I am born again? And see, what Jesus is trying to say to him, that all that you have done, all that you have obtained, Everything that you've put forth your effort in is in your own strength. And that Nicodemus, your good is not good enough. Your good on your very best day is not good enough to get you into the kingdom of God. Because you can't do it on your own. You missed it, Nicodemus. That's clearly what the Old Testament is pointing to. That we need a savior and you're the expert of this and you missed it. See, this would have been very hard for him to hear, very hard for him to process. And this is where our big idea comes from uh, for this morning. And it's this, that God desires relationship, not religion. See, God desires to have a personal relationship with each and every one of us, not just a religion. You see, the Bible even talks about that even the demons know who Jesus were. They had knowledge of him, yet they're still demons, right? They're, they're not ending into the kingdom of God. There's people that have knowledge of who God is, the Pharisees, everything, the Sadducees, the people of who were <laughs> responsible for hanging Jesus on the cross, 
should have known more about him than anybody else. Yet they didn't know him. They had a religion. They didn't have a relationship. And see, God desires the exact same thing from us. He doesn't want us just to know about him. He wants us to know him. And so it doesn't matter again. When it comes to our salvation and when it comes to relationship, that going to church, what we give, even standing here, even serving is all secondary to having a relationship with Christ. Because God cares first and foremost about our relationship with one another and with him. See, this isn't in the, on the screen, but Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23 is probably one of the most scarier verses and passages in the Bible. It says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many works in your name? And listen to this. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, these weren't just the people who showed up, you know, once or twice a year at church, right? The, the people that were talking, they're not the, you know, the ones that just would hide and, and, and not do anything, not participate. They, what do they say? We prophesied in your name. We casted out demons in your name. These were some of the, the as we say, church folk. Yet they missed it. Why? Depart from me, for you never knew me. They missed the relationship. They had the religion. They had it there. And see, religion is all about what we must do. You've got to read your Bible every day. You've got to pray multiple hours of the day. You're going to get sick if you don't pray for your food and ask God to bless it, Right? You gotta go to church, you gotta serve, you gotta give, you gotta do these things, and you gotta give more. That's religion, is what the Bible talks about. See, religion says you must do, but the cross says it's finished. When Jesus is there and he gave his last breath, he said, It is finished. Why? So we can enjoy the freedom of having a relationship with him. That is the work of the cross, of to conquer and overcome religion. And so Jesus doesn't leave him hanging. He explains to Nicodemus how to have a relationship with him. And he says, you must be born again. Now, I find this very, um, <laughs> very funny, the next part. Because Nicodemus must have been one of those, like, straight-laced, like, right on fact, like, he went by the rules kind of guy. And so he was very literal in his understanding of what Jesus was saying. So, okay, you've got to be more born again. And what does Nicodemus say? How can a big boy like me be born in a, a, a woman again? Like, how can that happen? How can I go back into the womb? Like, he, he's probably like, I'm, I'm missing something. Born again, that just physically is not possible. Again, he's, he's only thinking about earthly things. He's not thinking about the spiritual things. Because what does Jesus say to him in verse 5? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit... He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said that you must be born again. 
The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. See, he talks about being born of water, this cleansing again. If you were with us last week, Pastor Chad talked about uh, at the wedding ceremony, uh, the feet washing, okay? The most disgusting sermon illustrations ever um, of talking about feet. And uh, FYI, I don't like feet. Um, and so I was very glad that he didn't show us his. Uh, but what did he talk about? What was the purpose of that water? That purpose of the water was, to cl- was cleansing. It was so that people can wash their feet, hands and their feet and be completely cl- cleansed before they go into this wedding ceremony, a, a religious ceremony. And so what Jesus is referring to, that we must be cleansed as well. We must be cleansed internally. We must be cleansed from our sin. But it's not just a, a, a physical thing that takes place, but it's the spirit. And he refers to the wind, which is, is a common illustration that is used in the Bible about the spirit. That within us, it is only the work of the Holy Spirit that comes inside of us that can truly cleanse us. It's only the work of God coming inside this. So it completely removes us out of the picture. That God is completely involved in this. That through water and spirit that we are cleansed into having a relationship with God. And so we, we see here and referring to as being born again. And this cleansing that we're seeing is, is part of a word called repentance. And so what do I mean by repentance? Repentance is turning away from sin to know, love, trust, and obey Jesus. See, we're going to turn away from something. We're turning away from our sins. But that's not the only act that is taking place. We're turning away from something and turning towards something. And what are we moving towards? We're moving towards loving Jesus, trusting Jesus, following Jesus, and obeying Jesus. And so, those of you who don't have a relationship with God, maybe say, how is this possible? How can I turn for who I am, right? How can I turn away from my sin and turn towards something that I don't fully know? And Nicodemus asked the exact same thing. He said, how can these things be? And Jesus, again, is getting a little frustrated a little bit with Nicodemus because he said, aren't you a teacher of Israel? Don't Aren't you an expert on all this? Don't you know what my word says to you? But he says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. Seeing this this text, this passage here, Nicodemus never says another word. We hear about him later on and later on in the Gospels. But Nicodemus does not come to a life-changing relationship with Jesus in this moment. He hears it. But Jesus is saying, you do not receive our testimony. You're not willing to, to, to repent and turn and accept my love for you. You're not willing to admit that you need a Lord and a Savior yet. You're not there yet, Nicodemus. But I want you to keep listening. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except for he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus is claiming who he is right here. I'm the Son of Man who has ascended from heaven. 
And as Moses lifted up the serpent into the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So recap for those who skipped Sunday school class this day. So in the desert, so we got Moses, he goes, he, he frees through God's power and calling on his life. He frees the Israelites from slavery out of Egypt, okay? And they go and they go through and they experience incredible miracles, walk on dry land with the Red Sea parted. They go and they have God's sovereignty of protecting them with, with the tornado of fire and, and wind. Like it's just crazy what they got to experience from God's gift and blessing for their lives. And then they go to the promised land because God said, I have this land for you. It, is, it was promised all the way back to Abraham. Okay, your great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. All right, a long time ago, I promised him, and it's still true. And they get to the promised land, they send 12 spies in there, and 10 out of the 12 are like, hey, we can't do it. There's some big, scary people there. We know God parted the Red Sea, rescued us from Egypt, and delivered us into these things, and promised this land to us, but we can't do it. Why? Because they were thinking about doing it on their own strength. Again, they were separated themselves from relationship with God. And so what does God say? God says, fine, because of your sins, you're going to have consequences. You're going to wander in the desert for 40 years. By the way, this is the Cliff Notes shorthand Josh Hogue version. Okay, it's much longer and deep. You should read it yourself. So they're wandering in the desert. And again, time and time again, they're complaining and whining. And Jesus... And God sends serpents, poisonous snakes, to come bite them. And when people are getting sick and, and people are dying, getting bit by these snakes in their camp, they, they beg Moses, please plead to God to rescue us from this. And so God says, yes, I will. And Moses, I want you to do that. I want you to go and I want you to make a, a sculpture of a snake. I want you to put it on a pole, the highest part of the camp. So when people get bit by the snake... Where they have experienced pain and they are near death, to rescue them from that, they are to look up towards the heavens where that snake is and I'll heal them. And Jesus says, just like that serpent had to be lifted up, just like that, so will the Son of Man be lifted up. But this time he'll be lifted up on a cross. And so to find healing from the pain, to be rescued from the penalty of death, from our sins, you have to look upon the cross and to be healed. See, again, the Israelites were trying to do all the things in their own way. They were trying to do religion and earn their salvation rather than have a relationship with God. When God put that serpent there and had them look up to it, he brought back, he had to say, you, you have to come to me to be saved. You can't be saved on your own. Because what sal- trying to do it on our own only leads to death. But salvation through me is the only way that leads to life. And then we come to probably the most famous passage in the world, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. But so often we forget these next two verses. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. 
Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. For God so loved the world, God loved you, that he sent his one and only Son to die a gruesome death. See, this passage, John 3, 16, is is probably significant for, for all of us. There's a special meaning for me in this passage This is the verse that I preached to my father's funeral. My father passed away unexpectedly seven years ago. And I had the opportunity to be able to preach his funeral. um, Knowing that many of my my family and his friends weren't believers. And when I read this passage and I got to the part, his one and only son, I almost lost it. I had kept it all together through all the memories, through all the emotions. But it was in that phrase, his one and only son. Because my dad wasn't the only son. And I'm an only son. And I was looking there at my only son. There is nothing in this world that would ever make me give up my children. I love you guys, but I ain't giving up my kids for you. There's nothing. I would do anything possible to save and rescue my kids. Yet God was willing to give up his only son to have a relationship with you. He didn't come to condemn the world. He didn't come to, with a bunch of rules and say this. He came and said, I want you to have a relationship with me. But a relationship changes us, doesn't it? See, my life changed when I began a relationship with my wife. Because I'm no longer my own. I'm hers now, right? And this relationship wouldn't last very long if I didn't invest in it. See, we go back and it says that that second to our salvation, that going to church, reading the Bible, you know, tithing, giving, and serving, these are secondary, but they're still necessary because they're part of a relationship. How long would my marriage last if I didn't talk to her? Not that long. How long would this relationship, even worse, how long would this relationship last if I didn't listen to her? It wouldn't last the afternoon, right? How long would my marriage last if I didn't try to spend time with her? How long would it last if I didn't look for opportunities to serve her? Or look for opportunities even to tell other people about how awesome she is? Right? It's Valentine's Day weekend. I'm trying to get some kudos here. (laughs) But it's about a relationship. And see, our lives, the life of a Christ follower is not your own. You were bought for a price. And God wants you to share that love with other people. So as you walked in this morning, a lot of you saw this huge contraption out here, uh, this big wall that says, who's your one on it in our foyer? And uh, we hired some expert carpenters, uh, very elite guys, me and Chad, um, to build this thing. And you noticed in the middle that there's, it's empty. And there's two pieces of plexiglass. Because last week we asked you to write down who's your one. And as a staff, we're praying for your one. And I got a kick out of it. There were some people in the modern service, they're like, one? Just one person? I've got like 35. Like, easy killer, focus on one. Okay? Work down your list. And so this is what this display is going to be here. It's going to be here for the next several months. And we want there to be a visual aid, a visual reminder 
that you're supposed to be praying and sharing God's love with your one. And so we're going to have ping pong balls available out there. And so you have the white ping pong ball. And this is to say that you have invited somebody to church. You've gone to your one and say, I want you to come join me to church. You may say, hey, I want you to come have lunch with me. And we're going to go, I'm going to secretly bring them to the Scottsdale Bible Conference coming up here soon. Okay? But you're going to intentionally ask. And we know that's a big deal. That's scary for some of you. But you were bought for a price. Why wouldn't we want to share God's love of what he's done in our own lives with others? And so that brings us then to the, the yellow ping pong ball. Yellow represents light. The light of the world. See, we are exposed to this light when someone was willing to tell us about Jesus. My eternity was forever changed when I asked my Sunday school teacher how I can go to heaven to be with my Graham who was there. And I didn't understand why I couldn't visit her. And my Sunday school teacher took the time to explain to a four-year-old crazy little boy about Jesus' love. I was showed the light. Now, light wasn't meant to be hidden. The light was meant to be shared with other people. And so when you share the gospel, when you have an intentional conversation with your one or with anybody else, we want you to grab a yellow ping pong ball and drop it in the Who's Your One display. And then we're going to have a blue ping pong ball. It represents new life. It represents someone who has accepted Christ and is going to be baptized. And you don't get to drop it in. They do. They get to take that ping pong ball, and after they have been baptized, they get to go and drop it in there and say, my life has been changed, and I want everybody to know it. And we are going to celebrate every ball that's in there. Because we want to celebrate that even just the, the casual conversations of inviting somebody to church, they can build fruit. And it's planting seeds in there. Because God wants us to have our lives marked by change. He wants us to pursue relationships with others because of the relationship that we have with him. And so I'm excited about this journey with you guys. I'm excited about the who's your one. I got to tell you, I need to ask you guys to pray for me. I've been invited into some conversations on Wednesday nights to, to answer some tough conversations to two non-church kids. And I've been having the time of my life. I got home last Wednesday night, and I was exhausted before during the day. And it was one of those, like, when can I take a nap days, okay? And I got home, and I couldn't sleep because I was so filled up and energized because I got to share God's love with two kids who it was like their fifth time in church ever. It was amazing. Share God's love with others. Be the light and hope that he has for us. Seek those relationships because of the relationship that he has with you. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your love and your grace. Father, we thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives. Lord, I pray that as we seek opportunities to share your love with others, Father, I'm, I'm not remiss to know that there's people here who don't yet have that relationship. And so, God, I pray for those who are working on their hearts. 
those who haven't experienced the life-changing hope only found in Jesus. I pray that you would reveal it to them now. Father, I pray that whatever distractions, whatever hindrances, whatever is holding them back from accepting having a relationship with you, Father, I pray they'll let it go. Father, if it's fear, thinking they're not good enough, Lord, I think of the little girl who said on Wednesday night, she didn't think she could be forgiven. God, you have already. So Lord, I pray that as we seek to have relationships with um, a relationship with you, Father, that we be also encouraged to, to share our relationship with you with others. Be with us now. We ask this in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen.